Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Unscrewed, the show that knows that real liberation includes sexual liberation. I'm your host, Jacqueline Friedman, and welcome to another episode of Unscrewed. It is an election day episode of Unscrewed, so of course we are going to talk about it. Do you remember back in March when everything was so much simpler and I had on the fantastic writer and activist Soraya Shamali to talk about sexualization of women in politics on a great episode that we called Naked Politics. And we talked about stuff that had happened in the campaign and the pornification of candidates. And we were all such simpler people then. Well, I feel like there's enough to discuss that we need to do sort of naked politics, too. And so I've asked Soraya Shamali back. She is, of course, the director of the Women's Media Center's speech project, which deals with online harassment as well as lots of other things. Soraya, thank you for coming back on and doing duty on this very difficult day. Oh, my pleasure always to talk to you. So before we dive in to talk about all the things that have happened in this campaign cycle since we last talked that have to do with women and sexuality. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm going to put you through the lightning round of questions so we can just check in with you and see where you're at. Is all right? Yes. All right. So what's made you happiest this week? Honestly, the thought of sleeping well after the election is making me the happiest right now. Oh, that's so optimistic. It seems like such a low bar. And I'm not someone who actually believes that this election is going to end anything. I think it's just going to start other things. But the thing that makes me happy is at least some tangible possible end to those feelings. Let's hope. Let's hope that we will all feel relief and sleep this wonderful sleep of relief. Yeah. Other than that, I I'd say there's some pretty good pictures of small mammals I've seen. <laughs> You live with a pretty adorable small mammal. I do. He's just the cutest thing ever. Soraya has a bunny named Vlad, and he is pretty much the best. He's perfect. He's just this warm, super soft, non-judgmental thing. Hmm. What's the best sex advice you ever received? Don't worry about what you look like. Oh, that's good advice. It's an experience. It's not about posing, right? Absolutely. 
aside from electoral politics, what is the sexuality-related news that's been making you the maddest or saddest recently? The thing that's making me the saddest is rape videos that are being made and then sold as pornography, gang rapes of girls and that are videoed and then used to extort girls and women, but also sold to pornography outlets. And then they kind of enter the endless chain of tubes and everything else. They just kind of get online and there's no taking them back. And these girls have very little recourse. And very often, although certainly not exclusively, they're in honor shame societies. And I would count ours among those, but not the same way as Pakistan or India, where the danger comes not only from the rapists and the strangers, but from parents and brothers. And those videos are are sometimes shared on open platforms like Facebook now and then. But really what's happening is everything's moving into private social and there are really no safeguards in those formats. Even the very basic standard safety and privacy safeguards that some platforms have made available on their public products don't exist in the private messaging world. Mm. All right. Now I'm also mad and sad. Yeah. (laughs) What is the biggest or one of the biggest sex myths that you used to believe but don't anymore? I think this is what I said last time, and it it speaks directly to the issue of these videos and consent and non-consent. It's that rape is sex, and that's what rape is about, and it's just not. Mm, All right. Who's one of the bravest people that you can think of who's working to unscrew the sexual culture? The young women who are coming forward with stories of their rapes in the Title IX movement, and that's since even the last time we spoke, it's gotten younger, right? So I'm now talking about 12, 13, 14-year-old girls who have experienced sexual assault and violence in their schools or among their peers who are now coming forward and saying, this happened to me and it's not okay. They're very brave. Amazing. That's amazing. How can we support them? We can put pressure on schools as adults and on other adults to work with their education systems to provide comprehensive sex ed and healthy relationship education that is part of the regular curriculum that children are exposed to K through 12. That's how we can help them. Excellent. Uh, That is something we talk about not infrequently on this show. All right. That's the lightning round. How about the campaign cycle, Soraya? Has anything happened since March that relates to women and sexuality in the campaign that you can think of? (laughs) Since March? (gasps) Holy shit. Okay, I'm going to start in an existential place. And you and I have talked about this a little because we're friends. But I have heard a number of smart people say that... In the end, this campaign and the stories that have come out about Trump sexually assaulting women and all the gender dynamics will have wound up being good for women because it's bringing it all out into the open. And I think we've seen eruptions like this before and people tell their stories. I don't know if it's been on this scale, but I just I just don't know. I feel agnostic about that question at the at best. And I wonder what you think about it. I think of what just recently has happened, uh, certainly in the wake of the Trump video and the not okay hashtag, which was part of this larger, massive triggering event for women. Oh, we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. But I think two things happened. Women were angry and triggered and men were like, 
what the fuck just happened? And the second stage to that was women stayed angry and this stayed a priority for them, but it didn't for men. And you can see that in exit polls and surveys where this issue of Trump's sexually harassing and um, assaulting behavior is in women's top five areas of political concern, but it's not in men's. Well, and things like Newt Gingrich saying to Megyn Kelly, you're obsessed with sex and this is a distraction. I've heard so many, mostly men, although not all men, say like this is a distraction from the real issues as though sexual assault is not a real issue. Right. And I think that the issue here, which is why I think you're ambivalent and I'm also wary, is that gap because men dominate all the institutions that matter. And if they don't feel it's a priority, nothing's much has changed. That's really problematic to me. And I think what's interesting, too, is this gap between this is quite amazing. Something like 30 percent of men don't know who their spouses are voting for. Do you know? I find that mind-boggling. I saw an essay by a woman. It was Rachel Kramer Bustle talking about how she doesn't know who her partner is voting for. And I'm like, how do you not know your partner well enough years into a relationship where you're committed enough to be married in some cases and not know basically where their politics are at? And understand that a discussion might put your relationship at risk. I was reading, where was I reading this? Something about how canvassers in Nevada going door to door and they have on their list that there's a Hillary voter at the house and then they get threatened by a dude in the house with a gun being like there are no Hillary voters here or one of them said like this woman begged me never to come back that even just canvassing is putting women at risk it's risking outing them to their spouses Oh my gosh, really? Guns, yes, in Nevada. I'm going to find that article and put it in the show notes at JacquelineFriedman.com slash unscrewed. This is the thing. Democratic women are making up large percentages of early voters. And on the one hand, it's fine to say, yes, they're just really enthusiastic. But I really think nobody has stopped to consider the degree to which they're just trying to avoid any possible violence that, you know, they're genuine concerns about safety, because we know that there are hundreds, if not thousands of secret Hillary supporting groups in places like Facebook. And women are definitely self-segregating, going underground and not being public because they don't want to encounter harassment or denigration or whatever. And I think that that comes out in stories like the one you just referenced. I know. The things that we have to think about in this election. It's nutty. It is really quite amazing. It's terrifying. So and then on the other side, we have Anthony Weiner. <laughs> I'm really struggling with this podcast because, like, I don't know what to say about any of these things anymore. I just am like, there it all is. Because of the investigation into this asshole's predilection for sexting underage girls gives the FBI an opening to go after Hillary Clinton in ways that still don't make any sense to me. I feel like if you wrote this fucking election, your editor would be like, this is way too on the nose. I know this may sound absurd, but let's just go with it. Okay, Uh, It's everything is absurd. Nobody ever pauses to question the fact that we live in a democracy. And in point of fact, our long and storied history of being the world's greatest democratic nation is a myth. Most people couldn't vote. We enslaved tens of millions. We gerrymander. We do everything possible to empower certain people and disempower other people. And 
from the 90,000 mile in the air perspective, I mean, you look at this ridiculous election, you look at the fact that it's being framed by one man who measures his penis during like a presidential debate. Literally, yes, assured the, the U.S. public that his penis is big enough to be president. That's right. And then another man sending pictures of his penis to children. And somehow in the middle there, we're asking people to take a woman seriously. I just think, why don't we just talk about what it means to live in a patriarchal oligarchy, be upfront about all of those things, because it's laughable. All you can really do is laugh at this reality that we are literally talking about men's dicks and not calling it a dickocracy. Did you know that last week I got two separate pitches from two separate people about books that are basically full of illustrations of penises, and each of them were pitched to me as sort of groundbreaking or taboo-breaking. What do you mean? I mean, one of them is a dick coloring book, which, like, fine, like, have at it. Color some penises. It could be fun, right? Make them whatever color you like. But he wanted me to cover it on this podcast because it was, like, breaking taboos around penises. (laughs) I actually forgot what the other one was because I lost my mind, but I got a picture. Was, this one was from a woman, but it was also like full of illustrations of penises. The book was basically like illustrations of penises and it was like liberating or blah, blah, blah. And I just was like, what is going on? <laughs> like, please see all of Western civilization. That's right. But as a writer, I'm sure this happens to you too. But when men don't like what I have to say... They send dick pics and they send them in ways that eroticize male violence, right? So they almost always come with a choke on my cock, you know, some variation of that. Just dicks everywhere. It's just so transparent. You can't even make it up, right? And the thing that disturbs me too is I don't remember where. I've got to find this article and send it to you. But there was an article in the last maybe two, three years about teenage boys just drawing dicks everywhere on their school halls and on notebooks and just drawing dicks. And here it is. Why do high school boys draw dicks everywhere? That's the actual name of this piece. (laughs) Like you can't make it up. (sighs) Although I got a weird one yesterday. My timeline was full of assholes yesterday on Twitter because I got retweeted by Sally Cohn who has like next level trolls. This one guy said a a bunch of anti-Semitic shit about me, which of course also is part of it. But he said, I like her curly Jew hair though. I like going down on hairy women. And he added me and I was like, it's not that often that you get tweets about humiliation by Cunnilingus. It honestly was like weirdly refreshing. Like (laughs) That's where we are now. You should go and look at the Reddit thread (laughs) that's Ask Men. And it, it is titled, Why Do High School Boys Draw Dicks Everywhere? Because we're not just talking about high school boys, right? We're talking about grown-ass men who have nothing better to do than harass women because they don't like what they're saying. But Trump, of course, did take it to the next level by just doing it on a stage, right? For everybody to have to think about, unfortunately. And made it just, like, completely acceptable. Right, but this is what gets me. Like, we all participated in that everyday sexism hashtag And I kept tweeting about the fact that if our media, also remarkably not diverse, our media decision makers are as lacking in diversity as Congress and Hollywood and everywhere else, 
if they had taken Trump's horrible sexism seriously over the decades and not promoted and encouraged it or trivialized it, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't even gotten to the point where he could say the horribly racist, hateful, like xenophobic things he said. Right, because the record was already there. He's been on Howard Stern like five million times. He's done it literally for decades and people profited from it and people laughed at it and people encouraged it and they excused it. And so here we are, right? And so I'm more troubled by the fact that he will go. He will come and go. I really hope, Soraya. I know, but th- we're still left with the same institutions that got him to where he is. Right. And that's the issue. And the other thing about him is he is really not a symptom of rape culture. He embodies rape culture. Everything about his existence, everything about his person and his expression and his... Oh, yeah. If you animated rape culture, it is just Donald Trump. And so you just can't separate that from all of the societal institutions that cultivated him and people like him. No amount of hashtag awareness undoes that. Yeah. And I think that goes back to your ambivalence because we kind of saw this heightened emotion around Yes All Women, which trended for weeks, right? Right, exactly. That's what I feel like. You know, that was the, the Elliot Rogers shooting, right? And then earlier this year was the Brock Turner case where that victim made that wonderful, powerful statement that went around the world and we all talked about it for a while. Right. I feel like we do have these outbursts of awareness and maybe they move the ball forward incrementally. I mean, I've already talked on this show, I think. I certainly have talked in other places about how I feel like watching... Anderson Cooper say in a presidential debate, you understand this describes sexual assault. I don't think that would have happened five years ago. So I do think that there is maybe like maybe each of these things contributes to the most incremental of change in that the narrative does slowly change. But like, I don't feel like any of them are inflection points. The only way we would get to a serious inflection point is, and you're going to laugh, is when everyone is having these conversations at the dinner table. And I remember being struck years ago by Desmond Tutu, and he was talking about rape in South Africa. Rape in South Africa shares many characteristics as rape in the United States because they had apartheid and we had apartheid. We didn't call it apartheid, but whatever. But he he was talking about rape, and, and he said people need to be able to talk about rape at the dinner table. And I think until we can have these very difficult conversations at personal and intimate levels, we'll never be able to have them at larger scales in these institutions. And I think that what we're saying, even about women not sharing who they're going to vote with for whatever reasons, is part of that dynamic, right? If you are not comfortable in your own home saying, I disagree with you, what you're saying hurts me or what you're supporting hurts me or whatever that conversation is, how can we have that in public spaces? How do we get more conversations happening at the dinner table? We get progressives to recognize the family as a societal institution with power. Mm. That's what we do. Nice. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Okay, so a lot has happened since March. The headlines we know, but I feel like there's probably a bunch of stuff getting lost in the sauce in terms of women and sexuality that's happened in this election cycle that like people have already forgotten about or never heard about because the media has been obsessed with covering non-stories. What are your hobby horse undercovered stories about women and sexuality in this election? First of all, what I find fascinating in this entire ugly circus around Trump's harassment of women is we're actually not having a conversation about Trump's sexuality at all. If he had been a woman, we would have been talking about Trump's as a sexual being. And I don't think we've really done that, actually. Right. And here's a guy who's been divorced twice, has children with three different women. Right. Imagine if that's a woman. Yeah. And also, he's about to go on trial for the rape of a 13-year-old. Yeah. There's been this deafening silence around that conversation. Even if mainstream media don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole because they don't have the evidence or the witnesses or, you know, they can't go through the regular rigorous journalistic checks that they want to, there is a conversation to be had about the sexual abuse of children and powerful men. Well, and his wife, his first wife accused him of rape. She later recanted, but we also know that women recant for all kinds of reasons. Right. I think, too, he's surrounded himself with a fraternity of abusers and misogynists. Right. I mean, I almost choked when I saw that Newt Gingrich accused anyone else of being obsessed with sex. Surreal. What does any of that say about sexuality? Not necessarily women's sexuality, but the degree to which sexuality becomes power to some people. It's not actually a relationship. It's an expression of dominance. One of the stories that didn't get covered enough that I know you did your best to cover more than anyone I know is that one of Trump's victims got doxxed by Lou Dobbs. And it seems to have just disappeared into the ether that she I don't know if she actually did leave the U.S., but she said at one point that she felt like she was being forced to literally leave the country in order to keep herself and her family safe after Lou Dobbs tweeted out her home address and phone number. There were several women. The woman that was leaving the country was not the woman he doxxed. Oh, (laughs) it actually makes my point, which is like what happened to his victims? What happened to the woman who came forward? I think has not been adequately covered. I agree with you because if you look at what is still happening to these women who came forward, what's happening to them is very much like what happened to the women who came forward in regard to Bill Cosby. And they've now talked extensively about the backlash against them over the years. And then again, when they all came out collectively, you know, the woman who came forward against Trump in Tampa, she did say she's leaving the country and she is leaving out of fear for her safety. And what Lou Dobbs did, I think, is a very common way of scaring and intimidating whistleblowers. 
And I think rape victims who come forward are whistleblowers, right? Because they're really showing the corruptness in the system. But he retweeted a tweet that contained the name, address, and phone number of the 74-year-old woman who... Oh, the woman on the plane. Yes, the woman on the plane. And it was her name and her address and her phone number. And Lou Dobbs retweeted it. And almost immediately, people called him out. But he didn't remove it for more than two hours, during which time it was shared thousands of times. I think that he only really removed it after people started calling for his job. He then apologized, which, okay, you can say he didn't realize what he was retweeting. He didn't intend to dox someone. It was a political message and he didn't understand what he was doing. You could come up with lots of rationales. But what I find more troubling than any of that is that after he deleted the tweet with the contact information, he then deleted his apology. He did? Yeah, he deleted his apology. So I called Fox. I called Ameritrade, one of his large sponsors. I called Microsoft, another one of his sponsors, to say, hey, you know, Microsoft, you're advertising on Lou Dobbs's channel for your digital security and safety products. And he doxed this woman. Do you have no comment at all? Are you going to pull your advertising? Do you want to use this as an opportunity to say, hey, this is what you don't do? And they had no comment after five days. Ameritrade did something interesting. Ameritrade pulled their sponsorship off of his web page, but not off of the other Fox business pages, which just sounds a little more cynical. I don't think they pulled money. I think they just didn't want to be publicly associated. Mm. And then Twitter didn't do anything either. Twitter responded quickly, but they didn't do anything because actually by the terms of Twitter's terms of service, he probably didn't violate terms because the information that was retweeted came from a public record. And I think that speaks directly to the inadequacies of the law, which Twitter relies on. Neither Twitter's guidelines nor the law adequately capture the scope and amplification problem that the internet represents. So you could have had a public record that was public that someone could access 10 years ago. But they couldn't proliferate it the way the Internet does. They couldn't tap into networks of harassment and abuse the way someone can on the Internet. I mean, the laws just don't deal with that. So how are you feeling as a human woman living through all of this? I kind of vacillate between what I would describe as massive righteous indignation and exhaustion right now. I don't feel like I have felt enough energy to be righteously indignated for a little while. I feel like really wrung out. I was so triggered during that week when all the headlines were about Trump sexually assaulting women in a wide variety of ways. And, you know, I was assaulted like 20 years ago. Like, I don't get triggered that much anymore. But I was spacey and... Very distracted, right? disassociated. I still am. I'm like losing things and saying things wrong and... I really feel like my mind isn't my own. I feel very resentful, I think, of the emotional cost of this election cycle, literally on me and my body and my relationships and my ability to do my job. And, you know, I feel like one of the untold stories of this cycle that maybe now that it's over will finally get told is like the cost on all of us doing the work to try and hold Trump to some sort of account. It's still women doing the labor of calling all of this stuff out. That's true. I mean, you just described every woman that I know who does this work. There's an agitation, a distraction. I'm sick to my stomach a lot. Yeah, just like burnt out, tired, 
people don't care. That's the hard part. And it's mainly men who don't care if you look at the surveys, right? So you just have to think, all right, well, A, why aren't men caring? And I actually wrote a piece about that. I'm like, okay, there are four or five good reasons why men are resistant to this information. What are they? Um, and can we link the, to that piece in the show notes? Yeah. I called the piece Good Men, Now What? Because these politics are clearly personal. So why would men ignore this information, right? And so I have one, privilege is difficult to acknowledge. The second is that the revelation that so many women are angered, triggered, enraged, feel vulnerable. I think that is a real challenge to men's sense of identity and masculinity because they are taught that their strength and their identities are tied to protecting the more weak and vulnerable, especially the women around them and the girls around them and the children around them. But what this outpouring from women is saying is you didn't do that. You weren't protecting me, right? And so what does that mean for the benevolent sexists? The third thing was that no one really likes giving up power and rape is about power and that's a hard one to digest. Right. And I think even the guys who don't rape like to imagine they have the sexual power over women in order to undo rape culture. You have to challenge the power of a bunch of guys who aren't rapists but who still benefit from rape culture. And then I think fourth, because people are being exposed to more actual information about rape and sexual harassment – it means that they often know perpetrators of abuse and or even worse, may unintentionally be the perpetrators of abuse. I think this is a big one and it requires them to confront that maybe they already have hurt somebody. The resistance to thinking of yourself in those terms is so powerful. Yeah. And you have to call out people, you know, and this is the biggest one to me. You cannot overstate the power of fraternity in our culture. You have to break fraternal norms. You cannot simultaneously claim that you believe in women's equality and that you want to quote unquote protect them without breaking fraternal codes. So that brings me to kind of the last question I have for you. How do we heal? <laughs> like I imagine that a lot of listeners in Unscrewed Nation are feeling not unlike we are. And some of them are listening to this on November 9th or 10th or whenever, right? And they may know the outcome of the election. And even if it's good, let's say the best has happened, right? <laughs> We still all kind of went through this collective sexual trauma of this election. Right. How do you think we start to heal? And and also, right, like if Clinton is elected, we're also going to hear from the misogynists quite loudly, right? Like they're going to rebel. I think that either they're going to be enabled by a Trump presidency or they're going to be outraged by a Clinton presidency. And we're going to be hearing a lot more of this shit going forward. It's, it's not going away after November 8th either way. How do we put ourselves back together? How do we move forward? I think we'll probably have a cathartic moment. No matter what happens, it's going to be cathartic, right? Right. It will be this moment. And then there's going to be the moment after. So there's going to be this massive outpouring of emotion. Everybody's going to have an outpouring of emotion no matter what happens. And then there's going to be that giant letdown. And I think we're going to have to move through the phases of grief. And regardless of who wins, because if Clinton wins, people will celebrate. But there is danger in that celebration in the environment that we live in for a lot of people. We know that because there are armed militias gearing up. Right. Or think about the women in Nevada, right, who are living with their armed husbands. Right. And I mean, there's a woman we know who had her Clinton t-shirt on. Oh, yeah. Alison Turkos, who was walking and she had on a Clinton cane shirt she was standing, waiting to cross the street somewhere, and a man came up from behind, and he grabbed her waist. 
the way a street harasser does and leaned over to whisper in her ear. But what he said was, Hillary Clinton's a fucking cunt and so are you. And I just think that the election of a woman president is going to give a lot of people license to take already normalized levels of violence, harassment, contempt, and denigration and exploit them. There's going to be, we have a, a woman president, yay, 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 we're, we're really happy, which is great. But then what happens? There's, okay, so that happened. But look, I'm still in this problem. I'm still being harassed on my way to work. My daughter's still being called a cunt on the playground, whatever it may be. And then there's anger, like shit, because we're going to be angry. I think a lot of women are angry. I've met so many women who were laughing at the fact that men dropped out of the trial for the contraceptive shot. And men were starting to get upset about this. They're like, you're, you're laughing at men. There's some serious side effects. And I wrote, it has nothing to do with laughing at weak men. You men don't understand that laughter for women is a deflection from anger. Like, it's not that we actually find this funny. It's because we're fucking fed up. Yeah. And we can't do anything but laugh at this point. We can't do anything about it. The laughter is a form of solidarity. It's a form of recognition at the, the, uh, you know, unfairness of this process. And And it's a deflection from really expressing aggression which is how women learn to deal with aggression, you know? Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of that. And then there's the bargaining and the depression and the acceptance. And then it starts all over. We accept it and we're like, well, I guess we have to roll up our sleeves and keep working. Right. And I, and I think, too, like, it would be nice for just a split second to celebrate a historic moment. And that's not, that's going to be hard. I think I that's think- a great place to leave it, though. Like... We hope, gentle listener of Unscrewed Nation, that you are listening to this right before or during a moment of celebration for all of us. We don't know. But if we do get a win, any kind of partial win on Election Day, let's try to make space to celebrate it. We can all hold Hillary accountable on the stuff that she's bad about. We can know that all the misogyny is not going away. All of that stuff is still true. But I think you're right, Soraya. I think that maybe part of the way of healing is like celebrating the victories where they come. They're always going to be partial victories. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's okay to say I get to take a break right now and just be happy. What is that onion thing where the woman's watching TV? Oh, for <laughs> that- 30 minutes and not thinking about sexism? <laughs> That's right. She's like, I'm going to take off my sexism filter for 30 minutes and just enjoy a crappy TV show. And honestly, if Trump, God forbid, if Trump has won when you're listening to this, or if he does after you listen to this, like, you should still take 30 minutes and celebrate how hard we worked and take care of yourself and lick your wounds and dress them because we're going to have a lot of work ahead of us and we have to take breaks sometimes. Yeah, the breaks are good. So find the things to celebrate regardless of how dark things get. We will still be here with you, Unscrewed Nation, whatever happens. That's right. We will. Thanks for coming on and processing this with me, Soraya. I can't think of anyone I'd rather talk about it with. Always so fun to talk. Where can people find you online? They can find me on Twitter at S-C-H-E-M-A-L-Y. S-C-H-E-M-A-L-Y and I have a writer's page in Facebook and also the Women's Media Center Speech Project. Does that have a Twitter account? It does. It's W-M-C Speech Proj, P-R-O-J. 
excellent. And y'all should definitely follow that. And you can find me online. I'm on Twitter and Facebook at Jacqueline F. That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-F, as in Friedman. I'm on Instagram at Jacqueline Fable because I'm like that. You can find me on my website at JacquelineFriedman.com where you can find show notes for this and other past shows as well as all the other stuff I'm up to. You can find this podcast wherever podcasts are available. Don't forget to subscribe. We never want you to miss an episode. If you are in iTunes and want to help spread the word about the show, give us five stars and a little review. That is literally one of the best things you can do to support the show. If you don't want to do that, tweet it out. Tell your friends about the show. That's how we find new audiences and keep growing. Unscrewed is produced and edited by yours truly. Our in and out music is by the Pink Tiles and our cover art is by Nicole Dodonna and was produced in collaboration with The Establishment, which also produced the sound cues. Until next week, whatever comes, I'm wishing you safe and happy sex lives. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.